Honey, I blew up the business. Have we got an episode for you today? Claudine Adeyemi with an incredible story. Hear from how she was homeless at age 16 to putting herself through university to become a lawyer at one of the UK's, indeed the world's top law firms, where she pivoted her career to pursue a social purpose startup, a tech for good startup called Career Ear, which she's now after perhaps an 18 months period of, of having left law behind, she's now pivoting again. She's niching down and narrowing her focus. And so we get a real ringside seat of an entrepreneur who has gone through a set of experiences that really are uh, challenging her and she's living it right now. So you're going to get a real ringside seat of someone who is going through the experience at an early stage and being very open-hearted about it. Now, I met Claudine about end of 2020 and I helped her and was working with her as a mentor for uh, about a year or so until I had to kind of go and focus on my business because uh, we were going through a, a lot of change. So we sort of chew it up a little bit about the change in my business, the change in her business, and really both those things come down to focus. So the real focus you're going to get in this podcast is the importance of simplifying things for you as an entrepreneur. It's full of really great uh, stories, really great advice, stuff that, frankly, I think is good for me to learn, particularly around asking for help and not worrying about sort of putting yourself out there and, and getting in front of people you want to get advice from and, and just asking them. Claudine's got a really great sort of very matter of fact, very down to it way of approaching her life and career. And, and I think it's something we can all learn from as entrepreneurs. This fear that we sometimes have of trying to, of missing out on something is something we get into. Sometimes we worry if we say no to people, we'll lose this incredible opportunity when actually saying yes too many times is, is a form of self-sabotage. My name's Dan Kirby, if you don't know me. I'm the host of Honey, I Blow Up The Business because in 2017, that's what I did. I blew up my business and it didn't go bust, but it skirted it and we turned it around and now things are better than ever. But I really, really don't want to do that again. That's why I'm doing this podcast. I'm talking to entrepreneurs about times they've had it difficult, times they've gone through change and what they've learned from that. So I can learn from that and then you can learn from that too. And if you like that, if you like some real talk as opposed to all this sensationalist, hallmark card, fluffy entrepreneurial stuff that's out there, then please, you can help me on that mission to help other entrepreneurs. Subscribe to the podcast, share it with your pals, maybe give us a review, a five-star review, maybe, and, and a nice write-up. I like reading those. They make me feel good. Become part of our community. We're all fellow travelers on this path of entrepreneurship. Whilst I've got a podcast, I'm not a podcaster. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a founder trying to do some good in the world. Maybe that's like you. So you can help me and together we can help each other. This podcast is brought to you by my business, the tech department. That's the one that I turned around. They're graciously supporting my mission to help you and other entrepreneurs to sort of avoid our mistakes. So thank you guys. And without further ado, I'm going to transition you over to Claudine Adeyemi. We're going to be ready in three, two, one. Welcome to the podcast, Claudine Adeyemi. Great to see you. How are you today? I'm really well, Dan. Thank you. I love your energy. Well, you know, I have had an extra cup of coffee in anticipation of seeing <laughs> you. Um, because, because you needed it. <laughs> I always need a bit of a shunt through the afternoon. Uh, Claudine and I have, have got a, um, a, a well, past uh, working relationship together, and I reconnected with her because um, I thought she'd be a really great guest for the podcast. 
And as it turns out, she's uh, going through some sort of changes in her business, which we can get into, which might bookend some of the things I've been doing with my business. Um, and so I thought there's a really interesting conversation to be had with Claudine, who's, um, uh, and so I, I'm looking forward to getting into it today. And it is great to see you, actually. Um, a little bit of been a little bit of time, but I, I want to sort of dive in because I, I, you have um, a very interesting story, and I'm going to refer to a pinned tweet or your pinned tweet, where you said you're having to quote pinch myself moment because what when I think about what my life could have been compared to the life I'm living, wow, I'm grateful. Why is that? Oh, I forgot I had that pinned. I think I tweeted that a few years ago. Yeah. Um. Why is that? Um. Gosh. So. I um, grew up with my um, dad and my brother. My mum passed away when I was quite young. Um, and then when I was 16, I ended up having to leave home. So I was kind of sofa surfing and then ultimately ended up homeless and therefore in temporary accommodation. So B&Bs, hostels, things like that. And I think when I tweeted that, I was having a moment where I was reflecting on a whole range of things that could have went very badly for me in terms of distractions and things that were going on around me um, that could have influenced my journey and decisions um, that ultimately um, I ended up being able to stay focused on my studies and achieve the grades that I needed to, to achieve to get into university and so on um, and, and carve out a different path for myself than many of the other people that I was around at that time. So I think, um, yeah, really, that's what that tweet was in relation to. So you had this kind of pivotal moment, we're talking about pivots <laughs> in a bit, but pivotal moment in your life when you were 16 and homeless and you were kind of navigating through that. And and kind of, what, so where, where did you grow up? Uh, South London. I was always kind of, pretty much always in South London, yeah. So you're in South London, a teenager, um, making your way in the world and you kind of navigate your way through. And what, what, what point were you make, writing that tweet? So you were in a place of gratitude when you wrote that tweet and what, so that was a few years ago now but what was going on for you at, at that time um i can't remember exactly the year that i tweeted it but i suspect it would have been whilst i was practicing law um in a, a central london law firm called michelin Duray, which is one of the top law firms in london so very much in a oh my goodness i've made it oh my goodness this could have been a very different path for me Wow. So, and, and so you were looking back over that period of time thinking, okay, it could have all ended off like, literally off the rails, didn't go to school, didn't finish school, homeless. And then you sat in a, a top law firm, Mishkonda Mish Rea, or like one of the big famous ones that I've even I've heard of, and I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> and yeah. so you, were, you, you wanted to be a lawyer and you ended up becoming a lawyer. And I so did. Tell, me, tell me a little bit about, I'm curious just to sort of see again it's just like an interesting moment you took the time to going to reflect on it so you went from 16 what what age roughly would you have been when you tweeted that thing you know more or less uh probably early 20s maybe okay so this maybe been a seven or eight year window between yeah, sort of mid 10 years yeah so okay so so you're sort of maybe looking back at that 10 year and so how did you get to become a lawyer so you're homeless how do you get to become a lawyer at one of the, the world's top law firms <laughs> um grit determination resilience self-motivation i think for me um i'm just a very goals-driven person so i decided when I, I wanted to be a lawyer from the age of like 11 um i originally wanted to be a doctor but then i watched a lot of 
Holby City and Casualty and was like, absolutely not. What's next? Um, <laughs> and so decided on law instead. Um, and then I kind of went on a process of choosing the subjects that would be appropriate for that, um, seeking out opportunities. Like I, have wa- I remember walking down um, Tootingbeck High Street and just walking into any local law firm I could find with a CV that had experience of uh, admin and filing for my aunt's business in her home and sweeping the floors in the hairdressers. That was my kind of Saturday job um, and just begging for someone to take me on. Um, so, yeah, it was just a kind of a lot of just going for it and putting, putting myself out there. Um, and I think the other side of it was knowing very, very early on that actually my grades and my academic performance was going to be critical. Um, and so... Fortunately, I've generally been relatively academic and so was able to kind of get my head down um, and focus on getting the grades that I needed to get at A-level. So I ended up getting four A's at at A-level, which then got me into UCL, which again is one of the best universities. Um, And I read law directly there. And I think that journey put me in a better position to land a a trading contract at at Michigan. So you were, which is quite a wise thing for a sixteen-year-old to be doing in some ways, kind of like in 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 the sort of melee of what was going on at that time. And and do you think you kind of you say you've been very goals-driven? Do you think that was kind of? I mean, what what? Because in effect, what you went out and didn't sort of hustled. I mean, I'm looking at here. You went out and went. And you you didn't practice. What were the kind of? Were there any sort of? I know you've had to. You talk about having to overcome hurdles to kind of get to do that. I'm just curious, like, what's you had this goal and you went out and, and hustled. And looking back, what do you think you learned from that? You see, you're at this sort of mid-teen point with this big goal, and perhaps feeling like, how the hell do I get this away? Now, like you say, you're working, you, you're not you, you, in a Saturday job, etc. But so, how how did that? How did you, what did you learn from that experience? I think, um, if I'm honest, one of the biggest things that I learned was that ability is nothing without opportunity, and sometimes you have to create those opportunities for yourself. Mm. And so just pure hard work sometimes just isn't going to be enough. Um, but unfortunately, there's a lot of people that just don't have access to the opportunities where they can go and fulfill their potential. And so I've always been of the mindset that um, I can't sit around waiting for someone to come to me or hand me an opportunity or um, just do the, the basics that everyone else is doing in terms of filling out an application form or whatever. I've got to think outside. The so that's where you then get me you know, walking down the high street and, and popping my head into or I set up my first business um, when I was at um, uh, law school and um, doing proofreading for, for other people and, and um, really kind of, um, yeah, just kind of thinking outside the box to look at ways that I can make money if I needed it because I'd already left home um, and just making sure that things happen. I think the other key driver for me was because I'd lost my mum at a, a young age, one of the things that always stuck with me was wanting to make her proud as well. And so if you kind of got that hanging over you a little bit, you're going to kind of go above and beyond to kind of make shit happen. Yeah, and so you've got this this, uh, this uh, aim, not just personal goal, but to kind of honour the memory of your mother. And to say, okay, that's acting as a judge on your active actions now in a way that you've got to go and make good on this and make good on the career and find these opportunities. So, so you kind of, so you're, you've gone out and made this thing happen. You're out looking for opportunities and you're at university finding ways to make money 
with a kind of proofreading business. And what happened after you, um, so you graduated and then you went into law mm-hmm. and you ended up at Mishkondorea, but then where you are now is in the world of entrepreneurship. And that's mm-hmm. kind of entrepreneurial seed that you perhaps recognized at university has, has blossomed. But that, so can you take us through sort of what happened coming out of the corporate world and into the entrepreneurial world and, and how, how did that happen? Um, kind of by accident. <laughs> um, so I um, essentially part of the, the journey that I was on meant that when I got to this law firm, and I looked around and I just didn't see people that I could resonate with. I didn't see people that looked like me or from a similar background to me. And when I started reflecting on it and also doing the research, particularly around social mobility, um, I, it was really, it wasn't really until then that it dawned on me that actually a lot of people from a, a, the background that I came from don't have access to the same opportunities and don't manage to um, get into certain spaces and achieve their potential. And so that started me on a journey where I got very heavily involved with a range of different um, diversity, equity and inclusion initiatives internally, but also externally. Um, I also set up a nonprofit organisation, which was supporting uh, young people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds um, and just was doing a range of kind of mentoring, like all sorts of different activities, basically. Um, And then um, what happened was I then had an idea to digitise some of that nonprofit work that we were doing. So that instead of kind of doing the grassroots on the ground workshops, insight days, that kind of thing, actually we were building um, some kind of tool to help break down the barriers that individuals had to accessing careers advice. Um, And so I built that mobile app um, and naively thought, right, I've built this thing. It it solves this problem. Um, Excellent. I can get back to work now. Um, and actually what happened after that was it kind of consumed, <laughs> consumed my life. Um, so I hadn't really appreciated or thought about ongoing tech development, marketing it, thinking about how to create a sustainable business around it, um, all sorts of things like that. And so I ended up continuing to work on that on the side of uh, the day job um, until I realized that um, I couldn't continue to do both exceptionally well. And I'm a high achiever, high performer type of person. So I can't do things half-heartedly. Um, and so I decided to take a break from my legal career um, to build um, the, the business up um, and, and, and give myself enough time to do that. Um, so I took the best part of two years out actually um, working on that. Um, and then um, we had, yeah, a number of successes in that time. Um, but then I came back to law um, at a venture-backed startup, um, uh, whereby I was um, acting as sole legal counsel uh, part-time and then running the business part-time as well. Um, and I did that for about a year and a half until I got to a point where I got over my identity crisis um, of, of leaving law and leaving being a lawyer behind um, and uh, decided that actually I was far more passionate about solving this problem and, and challenge area around um, people from overlooked communities not getting the support that they need to be able to achieve their, their full career potential. Um, and so, yeah, October 2021, I not only quit the, the um, startup that I was working at, but I quit law completely. So I didn't renew my practicing certificate. Um, and so made sure that I was kind of 
jumping both feet, both feet in, um, and yeah, transitioned full time to uh, running uh, my business as a startup as well. So made that transition as well. Mm. Um, a few months later, raised some, raised some investment, um, and yeah, it's continued since then. So this, so, so scream back. So in effect, you you were in the middle of this hallowed halls of Mishkondorea or like law firm land, and you realise, okay, there's not a lot of people like me around here, or look like me around here, and you're seeing this thing around opportunity and access to opportunity, irrespective, like they're kind of um, people may have the ability, but they haven't got the opportunity. So that then became what you perceived as the opportunity for the app that originally was, then became the startup. And just to, going back to that sort of period of time when you're kind of going out and creating the app in the first place, what was was it just like you say you almost naively thought it would just solve itself? I mean, what did you, did you create an app and put it out into the world and then hope that people would use it? Is that what happened? Quite literally. <laughs> so at that point, I had never heard of a startup, had never heard of an MVP, had never heard of lean startup principles. Um, I just had an idea in my head that I thought would solve this particular problem. Um, I decided that I would find someone who could help me build it for a very cheap cost to test if it would work. And if it, my my view was if it did work, I could then find a way to invest more money into it um, later to build a, a better version of it, basically. Um, which I guess to some extent is that kind of lean startup way of, of building an MVP. Um, but yeah, and and I originally kind of had a conversation with this developer and they said, based on what I wanted and they could build it in a month. It took nine months. Um, so I had not anticipated that at all. Um, and then, yeah, we launched it. We had this massive event. Um, actually, my law firm hosted it for us, which is very kind of them. Um, we had Charlene White from ITV News come and do a keynote. And, and I put this thing out into the world and um, went out and, you know, spoke to um, schools and colleges and just shared it quite broadly. Um but yeah, hadn't appreciated that it would take a lot to kind of build build it up and, and scale it. And was and was there a moment in time when you when that penny dropped that you, you had yeah. this thing it had launched? You, you obviously, I imagine, on a high because you got all this the great and the good are back at your product launch. Was there a point when you realised, oh, hang on, this isn't just going to work on its own? Yes, um, I can't remember the exact moment, but as I say, because I ended up not just launching and then being able to step away and go back to kind of practicing law as, as a, as a full-time thing. Um, what ended up happening was that I was continuing to kind of do the 5am starts, working weekends and fitting it all around the day job. Um, and yeah, very quickly realizing that that was going to be the, the foreseeable unless I gave one of them up. Mm. Yeah. It's a bit of a rude awakening with, um, I, I've had that realization with you build a product and you think it's brilliant and you put it out into the world and then you realize that's actually only maybe 20% of the job is to, you know, build the yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The whole sales and marketing thing is just this whole other animal. Um, <laughs> all right. So you're getting up at five, you're working weekends, you're grinding it out. You're, you've got this high flying law, uh, career, which took you many years to give up is an identity which probably i can see because you've invested a lot of your teens dreaming of this thing and you get to the hallowed halls of the top law firms and then suddenly you've got this sort of curveball that came perhaps from your heart rather than your head like you kind of were drawn to do this thing and then it started to sort of drag you into its clutches this sort of social purpose entrepreneurship gig so so so, so how do you kind of 
and I'm trying to think when we met, I think in late 2020, was it? And so, so Claudine and I were working together. I was kind of, I guess, providing some coaching, mentoring, second opinioning. I don't know what you'd call it, advice. <laughs> um, I don't see myself as a source of good advice, by the way. I just, I still have that imposter syndrome, despite having done it, done this for 20 odd years. Um, so we would chat in on a regular basis. And I think that was late 2020. So it was probably while she was still nurturing the law career. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that was when I was um, part time in the business, part time on um, legal. And then I think towards the end of, as we were kind of having those conversations, was when I was starting to make that transition because remember us I, I think i would have said to you and raise and that kind of thing and so, mm. so 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 this period of time so there's a bit of this let's call it this quagmire period where you're trying to keep two very very distinct career paths running mm. simultaneously and all right i rock up at some point but you're in the middle of this thing trying to balance these two things the one perhaps the heart one's the head the kind of sensible career path and the emotionally satisfying career path and the one you're compelled to do uh, how, how was that at the time balancing those things um i think i told myself that it was all perfectly doable and sustainable um i did burn out during that period though um quite badly um because i just had way too much <clears throat> on my plate um but i think yeah i think at the time i would say that I, other than that, was kind of managing it. I think reflecting back, I actually had no idea how I was managing to do both. Um, because if I think about how much time I'm putting in now, where early bird is my only commitment, really, um, I don't. I just don't understand how I was able to kind of do three days completely of something else um, on on top of that. So, yeah, um, it was it was tricky. But I think at that point, I had some kind of um, vision of building up a bit of a portfolio career and dabbling in law, but also entrepreneurship and also kind of um, I sit on the, the board of a charity. So kind of just exercising different skill sets and, and using them in, in different environments um, is kind of what I thought I wanted to, it was the route that I wanted to go down. So I think, yeah, I had to kind of tell myself that that was all manageable. Mm. And so, so, and what did you, what do you learn from having, looking back now, having, so you were telling yourself a narrative at the time that, yeah, I want to run this very, you know, diverse uh, career with all these different interests and I'll use my different skills and I can definitely handle it. It's no big problem. Despite my burnout thing, it's fine. And, um, and so you were running a script on your head, right? So at the time and that, looking back at that now, cause you say you can't even imagine how you were doing it. What, what, what did you learn? I think the biggest thing for me, and I, I think I've noticed this as I've got older as well, um, is one, not everything needs to be done like yesterday. So I think I've got so many things that like I'm interested in and passionate about. And I was always of the view that I needed to find a way to do all of those things immediately. Mm. And in fact, as I have the idea, I'm already annoyed at myself that it's already done because I'm so impatient with, with just moving forward and, and, achieving things and and um, having impact and those kinds of things. And so I was always trying to do lots and lots of different things and wearing multiple different hats. Um, and so I've kind of gone on that journey of realising that, yeah, that, that doesn't need to be the case. There's hopefully still plenty of years left in me and so plenty of time to, to explore other areas. Um, I think the other thing is around um, sustainability and, and well-being. I think 
I've always been someone that hasn't been particularly good at managing my own um, health and well-being um, in terms of kind of putting it at the bottom of the list. So if I'm really busy, then I need to get all of that stuff done rather than also making time for um, for me and looking after my own well-being. And I know we've had conversations about yeah. that. Um, so I think that's, and, and it's still a work in progress for me, if I'm completely honest, but I'm definitely in a better place than, than I used to be um, on that front in terms of being conscious of the importance of it and how how much it can negatively impact you, which means actually you can't make the progress and perform well in your business if, if you're not looking after you. Um, but yeah, it took me a while to get to that point. Yeah, I think it takes, you almost have to have your head, <clears throat> you have to burn out at some, well, there's a certain character type that wants to be entrepreneurial and they're the, they're the sort of people who convince themselves they can, they are indestructible and they can just keep going. And often you can, but then at a certain point you can't. And it's not apparent until you're in it that that's going to happen. And I, that's happened to me like several times, by the way. So I too, it's a practice for me. This still now, yeah. like, you know, and I'm like, I'm 50 years old this year and I'm still having to remind myself I can't do everything at the highest level immediately, despite me <laughs> feeling I should be able to do that because yeah. frankly, that's so I relate to that very much. All right. So, so you've got, you've always been this sort of high achieving, got to prove a point. You've got to honor your the mother uh, that, that's sort of looking down at you and saying, I want to do the right thing. You've been driving yourself quite hard and you're going through this sort of, you've got this, this sort of uh, desire to see things happen immediately. Now, this was kind of, but you were kind of being spread very thin. Mm. Yeah. And so, so how did it feel at the time when you were kind of transitioning from this dual career, starting to kind of, focus your attention you had this sort of side gig as a lawyer for a, a vc backed startup but then you kind of broke out of that to become focused on your business which was called career ear now what was going through your mind at the time how did that feel leaving behind this sort of secure law-based career into this new uh startup world um i think to be honest very positive um I think I'd gone on quite a journey to get to that decision. So it wasn't a kind of snap decision that I made it without kind of really thinking it through and preparing myself for it. Um, I had also had some, um, obviously the conversations with you, I also had um, some conversations with the coach as well. And so I think I felt more prepared, but also just excited about having the freedom to purely work on this area that I was really passionate about. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I was, I was in quite a good place at that point for sure. Do you know, I remember? I remember we one of our conversations. Uh, we talked about focus, and mm. um, it was I shared a video which is I I dug out and I rewatched the video today. It's, it's a short clip of Johnny Ive, the designer from Apple who did design the iPod originally, uh, who was talking about Steve Jobs. He was it was, it was the Vanity Fair, some big Vanity Fair show. Then the editor of Vanity Fair is interviewing Johnny Ive, and he was talking about focus. And it's a really great video. Um, if, uh, I'll put a link in the in the show notes. But talking about actually how uh, Steve Jobs would say, "Look, you've got to." It's like the thing you really, really want to do, and you wake up thinking about. You got to not do that. That's what focus means. Like to, 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 to practice that. And it, it, I remember us having that conversation because I'd seen that video and I struggled with that. <laughs> and mm. and so, 
do you feel again looking back at that time and uh, do you think that's something that's was true for you uh, at that time yeah i think um so if we go back to the vision of having this kind of portfolio career i think one of the realizations was actually i've actually got bigger ambitions than i realized for what career it could achieve mm. and so i'm going to realize those ambitions i need to be focused on that and i can't be in it for two days and then somewhere else for two days and somewhere else for another day or whatever it is um and having that having my time 100 focused on the business um was was going to be critical i think um interestingly that focus piece has come up again which is kind of the reason for the pivot but yeah <laughs> the, i think that that piece around focus is is always something that is is a continuous work in progress so 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 yeah and and this is kind of why i wanted to bring it up because the focus piece is this kind of re recurring theme in my life and it was interesting it was a theme when we were last comp uh, uh, speaking and then um actually at the time i kind of stepped back from being able to sort of w mentor you because i had a bit of a my hands full with my business which was having a bit of a uh ongoing uh, a bit of a bump in the road uh, this was late 2021 where um for various reasons but we needed to pivot uh, or we were going through a lot of change and a lot of that required was down to really focus and a year on or a year and a bit on you've had a year of of where you pursued career here as your primary focus yeah. and then you're going through a stage of of changing focus or narrowing focus again yeah so i i now and actually my business is is having focused or having sorry having had its ass kicked yet again um, and or a bump in the road. It wasn't anywhere, anywhere near like our 2017 um, blow up, but like a you know a bump in the road that was significant that required us to really sort of pay attention. And we've narrowed our focus, and it's really working now, like a lot better because we were forced to do it. So, so what uh, what's happened in the last 12 months that's that's got you to a point where you're shifting focus or pivoting your startup? Yeah. So. <laughs> Um, I think there's a couple of things. I think the first thing is just kind of as you learn more about building a business and particularly an early stage startup, um, coming to that realization around what focus truly means. So as you say, I went through that kind of, oh, I'm more focused now because I'm putting all of my time into the business. Um, but actually the business itself was trying to do way too much um, for, for a lot of different audiences. And so the business itself lacked focus. Um, and so we kind of took a step back to really kind of look at how the business could be more focused and how our product could be more focused to solve one problem for one customer type um, rather than the plethora of, of different problems and customer types that we were working with. Um, and then I think the other side of it um, that happened was really about looking at the different pain points that some of the customers that we were working with were experiencing and kind of exploring how we could solve some of those um, problems and realizing that actually there was an innovative solution that, that we had that no one was thinking about um, that we could that we could build and, and deploy. And so, um, yeah, I think in terms of where we are now, um, I feel more focused than ever <laughs> because I'm 100% on, on the business, which is now called Early Bird. Um, the early bird itself is very clear um, with solving one particular problem um, with one solution for one type of customer 
Um, and we just feel like we have um, far greater clarity. And I think you see it in, in some of the small things. So, for example, describing to someone what you do in a sentence. We weren't really able to do that very well previously because it's kind of like, well, it depends who's asking as to, as to what we do and, and what problem we're solving. Whereas now it's it's really easy to kind of capture those types of things. Um, or speaking to a customer and it, kind of explaining what, you, what your product does and having them kind of sell the benefits back to you that, that, that you already know. And just that kind of that level of clarity, um, I think, makes a, makes a big difference um, and, and is a signal, I think, of how much more focused you are. Mm. Yeah, and, and it, uh, so I, I can hear, recognize a lot of what you're saying in, in what we're doing now. <laughs> and it's interesting how I see this um, often uh, with founders who you'll say, okay, who, what's, who's your customer? And they'll go, oh, yeah, well, uh, corporates and then uh, charities and then the government and then startups and obviously small businesses that are fast growing. And you're like, wow, this is just everybody then. Yeah. And these are all amazingly different people with different buying processes and different uh, considerations and what have you. And it, it, it's kind of easy to sort of think you can make more money by going after everyone. Yeah. or make more impact by going after everyone. And in fact, the kind of polar opposite is true, is that if you can find the right niche and the right problem for that niche, then there's this kind of infinitely depth within the niche, but you've just, and it focuses your attention. And, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm, what I'm curious of for you is, is over the last, say, call it 15 months, 18 months, you focused on your own career from a portfolio career to a, I'm building a startup. You took on some funding, you launched out into the world, with your brave leaving the law firm behind <laughs> in your rear view mirror. And then you went out, but you've had this lesson in, uh, as you say that you've learned a lesson because it's, it's been revaluable because it's now working better. But again, like what happened in that course that year? Was there a particular moment where you thought, ah, like this is just, uh, uh, is it what, what got you to, to break through to that next level of simplicity? I think there were a number of things. So like I said, part of it was the kind of customer development interviews that we were doing and realizing that there were far more thornier problems that we could solve than what we were solving. Um, conversations with um, operators who had been there, done that, and scaled multi-billion pound businesses um, as, as startup founders who were kind of like, look, I know the playbook, I've supported loads of founders through this, you need to be focused, and, and taking those lessons from, from them as well. Um, and actually, um, one in particular who was able to um, really give us some um, ad advice in term and feedback as we kind of went through that process of, okay, this is this what kind of focus looks like um, and helping us to refine that. Um, so, yeah, I think it's kind of that that journey um, through um, and just wanting to be in a position where um, we were really solving a, a proper pain and, and bringing like a, a painkiller to the situation rather than, providing some kind of vitamin that was useful to have, but not necessarily um, going to be a game changer. That, that's really good. Um, um, Painkillers, not vitamin pills is a real mantra that's worth bearing in mind. Cause if you've got a headache, you take a Nurofen. If you want to get healthier, yeah, well a vitamin C tablet, maybe will do something. Maybe it won't, who knows? But like you know, when push comes to shove, you're definitely going to buy the Nurofen. Exactly. And, and so you had this lesson then taught to you by the market and by mentors 
about clarity, focus, and problem solving, and more than that, painful problem solving. Mm-hmm. If any people are listening to this and kind of uh, perhaps recognizing some of these patterns in their own business, what what have you learned from that experience that you think other people can build on? I think there is a, a bit of a concept around fear around the office. So yeah. I think kind of partly linked to what you were saying before in terms of it's very easy to think, oh, this product or this solution can solve problems for all of these types of people. And actually, if I just focus on one customer type and that's too small or that's going to be too hard or whatever. Um, and I think that um, you have to get rid of that fear that what you're doing is too small because there, there has to be somewhere that you're going to start. Um, I think that if you have landed on a, a market opportunity that is large enough, then focus there um, and really double down on owning that part of the market and um, doing really well. And then in the future, fine, you might be able to provide a solution that works for corporates and also works for charities. And you, But you can do that at scale. You don't need to do that from day one. And I think part of the issue that we had was that from day one, we were looking at trying to be all things to all people. Um, so that's takeaway. Um, don't be scared to to to, to exclude um, being exclude that opportunity um, of servicing uh, certain customers or solving certain problems. Um, it, because I think the focus is actually going to be far more beneficial. Yeah, it's hard um, making choices and hard <laughs> having focus. And, yeah. and- like I say all of this as if it's super easy, but it's not. And if it was easy, then we'd have way more successful entrepreneurs and founders than we do today. And actually, it's a real paradox. I think part, part, because uh, people want to make impact at scale and want to do big things and what have you, and they're very ambitious, and that's great. And then, and then you do tend to map that onto fighting all the battles all at once. And and, and I think one's ego can get in the way. I'm, I'm not saying that's you. I'm saying that's for me for sure has been part of that. And and also, like you think that's a very great insight about fear, the fear of missing something, the fear of. Yeah not getting the angle you you know all these different angles all this data coming at you it's all good and i think that's a that's, there's a real practice here of the that's the half of it is the, that is the game actually for a founder if you can kind of like parse out simplicity from the, all this chaotic multiplicity then you know you, you're in for a fighting chance of getting something away yeah and i think the other thing is you don't have to do it by yourself so, like, I'm a solo founder now, um, but I've got a couple of incredible advisors. And there's been instances, even like in the past six months, where I am contemplating, do we also explore this other opportunity here? But you go and speak to them and you get them to hold you to account based on the focus that you laid out you wanted to have. And so they're able to ask the right questions, they're able to challenge you. And together you can then conclude whether it is distracting and isn't as focused as you um, ought to be or whether actually that is part and positive of the same thing and it is something you should be going for. Um, so I think that that piece around asking for help and, and uh, finding people that can help hold you accountable is useful because it's very easy, I think, to get in your own head and maybe kind of respond to, to the ego side of you and, and that kind of thing and just think, oh, this shiny opportunity, we can't, we can't possibly miss out on that. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that's really asking for help is really wise, and in fact, in some way, that's how we um, connected. Because you, you, what, what I've always admired with you is you've been always very open. Because we got chatting at a time where it was a formative time for you, and you had enough on your plate, and maybe you don't need some dude giving you 
is stupid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and it's like this whole, you've been very open to that. Speaking to other advisors is a kind of important part of, for me anyway, like almost like a mastermind group of people who can give you feedback outside of your own head. And again, when you talk about ego, when I talk about ego, I don't mean like just being a big head. I mean, just like the sense of who you are and what things should be and all that kind of sense of identity sometimes can, can undermine you and can trip you up. So you need some other people, like you say, to hold you to account. Yeah, what was really good about you was like being open to getting feedback and talking to people outside you and outside the business to give you that perspective on your own um, accountability and your own ideas and what you're up to and what your own focus is. And so, so and again, how do you find these advisors? So I think there's a mixture. Um, so we've got like a couple of formal advisors. One of them is actually one of our investors. Um, and the other one we met on an accelerator program um, it, he was kind of delivering a, a workshop, which I found very, very valuable. Um, and I reached out to him after the program had ended and was like, you, sir, you've got to be an advisor. <laughs> um, and he decided to come on board. Um, outside of that, though, um, I'm really big. And this is kind of the same to, um, kind of mentoring perspective as well. I'm really big on um, ignoring the language around mentoring, advising, that kind of thing. And just speaking to people, building relationships with people, asking questions, seeking advice, um, the people that you kind of build a positive relationship with or get um, value from when you kind of ask those questions, you're inevitably going to go back to them for more advice when something else happens um, or to update them on, on the success of, of receiving that good advice. And over time, whether they like it or not, they become a bit of an advisor to you or a bit of a mentor or whatever it is. Um, and I think there's also a bit of a misconception that that has to be someone that has um, built up their a, a business that has been uber successful over time. Um, and that, yeah, they've just been a, an incredibly like high profile, super successful person. It could also be a peer. It depends what you need from that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really just big on, on just speaking to people yeah it's good um uh, that's good advice and i think it sort of correlates with your early stage attitude of just rocking up with your cv and asking for a job and i think that sort of getting out there and and putting yourself into opportunities way is is a a really kind of what you're saying you don't wait for someone to formally come to you with the correct credentials at the time you strategically need it just have a chat yeah yeah because you never know where any of those conversations are going to take you either and Mm. that person the right person but they could then introduce you to someone who is the right person or actually there's something about so when we first started speaking i didn't know your whole background your history and actually when we started speaking about a lot of that it helped me with thinking about how i manage my well-being and um and that kind of side of things and so yeah i just think that it's it's i think it's silly to kind of look at someone on paper and make a decision as to whether they're going to be a good advisor or mentor or anything like that Mm, it's interesting and i think that's uh again very wise i think there's there's a chatting to people is really good and being open what i try and do now which is probably what i try and do in the podcast is just be very from the heart and be very open with with everybody you know not a manipulation just just as a way of being and what if you do operate in that way with people and go and ask for help and be on a level you, you don't know how these cards play out and the the sort of relationships are built on a very 
a good a good basis they're not like i say it's not a manipulation where you're trying to get in with someone because they've got a particular cv and you're trying to get something out of that for you tactically or whatever you it's a sort of much more honest way of being that actually is probably richer and deeper over time um well this is what i find anyway it's just the way i kind of want to act in the world and you just then, then you 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 can kind of learn from everybody around you and you learn from yourself as you're talking it out mm, yeah absolutely i completely agree so we're dishing out wisdom left right and center here and one of the questions i like to ask uh, every, uh, people on the podcast is what advice should other entrepreneurs ignore oh oh i wasn't expecting that um what advice should other entrepreneurs ignore um i think this might be a bit obvious but i think um the sensationalizing of building a business um, I think very often, particularly in the startup world, all you see is kind of tech crunch and sifted articles about companies raising X million and um, how, you know, they've kind of built this success overnight and things like that. Um, and I think there's there's more kind of real stories coming out, but I think ignoring anything that you see around building a startup or a business being piss easy. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's not. <laughs> um, so yeah, fooling yourself into thinking, oh, I'm going to leave my nine to five because I need to work for myself and work fewer hours. Not going to happen. Um, I need to leave my nine to five because I want to work for myself and be less stressed. Probably not going to happen. Like all of those types of things, um, I think are the things that, yeah, I hope that budding entrepreneurs ignore and are very alive to the fact that it, it is difficult and, and, um, isn't necessarily going to be what it looks like in, in magazines and online. Yeah, it's very in the forthcoming merch t-shirt shop, which we haven't made yet. Your your t-shirt's going to say "Not Piss Easy." <laughs> I'll be buying that. <laughs> yeah, I think to be fair, I think I'll have one of them. <laughs> What's great, uh, Claudine has got a uh, she's a, a an impact entrepreneur. She's got a social purpose. She's trying to do good. That's why she's shouldering the the, the stresses and bothers and ups and downs and changes and uncertainties of entrepreneurship. So I really uh, would recommend everyone to check out her work at Early Bird Get Early Bird AI. And uh, where can we find you on, online, Claudine? If you wanted to connect, uh, the best place is probably LinkedIn. So you can follow me on LinkedIn. Just Claudine Adiemi. Um, yeah, I'm the most active on LinkedIn. So. Well, yeah, Claudine's got a vision where a, a, of a world where in which everyone can achieve their full career potential. And that's something I can get behind. And I think that's really a great thing to be aiming to do. So plus one from, from me. And if you agree with that, please show your support and get in touch and, and connect. She's uh, very wise and on her way up, I would say, in the entrepreneurship career and so I'm, I'm very, very honoured to be a sort of uh, able to be part or a small part and alongside you on that journey. So thanks ever so much for coming on and sharing with us. And uh, I'll see everybody next time. Thanks, Dan. I really appreciate you. Are you an impact startup founder? Are you looking to do good in the world? And do you want a team to build your tech product? But importantly, do you want that tech product to actually do what you want it to do based on the vision you've got? then maybe, just maybe, my company, the tech department, could be a good fit. And as a founder of a startup, particularly in the early stages, every penny you invest is critical. It's adding value. It's creating improvement to your business. So our difference is we focus first on improvement, and that mindset shift is unique. 
and we turned that mindset shift into a method which we called the Tech Bootcamp. And it works really great. We get great feedback from all of our startup clients. And when you've got your business profitable and you want to build your in-house team, then we can help you with that too and hand over in a way that's not weird and we're not hanging onto the code or anything stupid like that. So if you like that idea, check us out at www.thetechdept.com. T-H-E-T-E-C-H-D-E-P-T, -E -E the tech department, thetechdept.com. The worst name to pronounce as a domain name on a podcast. Check it out.